Hello from the California Lawyers Association annual meeting 2018 in beautiful San Diego, California. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Jennifer Gerstenzang. Aaron Gerstenzang. I'm Megan Xavier. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. back. We have a surprise podcast today. Uh, A lot of our podcasts happen by accident, but those are the fun ones. And so I have three ladies joining me today, and we're going to be talking about lawyers who tweet. So before we get started, I got to do the little setup here. So I have a co-host joining me, and you are? Jennifer Gerstenzang. I'm in San Diego, and I am a solo practitioner practicing criminal defense. Excellent. And we have a return guest joining us, Aaron. Aaron Gerstenzang. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I do practice criminal defense as well. And Megan, I feel like I know you, but have you been on one of our podcasts before? Oh, I've probably been on one of them. I don't think I've been on On the Road, though. Okay, so first time on the road. It is my first time on the road. All right, well, tell me how it's going so far. It's going great. Excellent. We're having fun. Where do you work and what do you do? So I work out of Atlanta, Georgia, as well as Aaron does, but my practice is centered on California, and I defend California lawyers before the state bar. Excellent, excellent. So lawyers who tweet. So I know we're going to get into a lot of uh, topics here, but uh, somebody give me the 50,000 foot. Lawyers who tweet need to be careful because they make a lot of mistakes that lead to fantastically juicy stories that make it into presentations like ours, and you don't want to be on one of those. So this is the kind of thing that uh, gets you trolled on the internet? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yes. What's one of your favorite examples of an attorney making a mistake on Twitter? Um, I do actually have a favorite, and my favorite one uh, comes from Lawrence Tribe, who is a Harvard Law professor. Uh, And he is also a very prolific uh, individual, particularly when it comes to Twitter. So I definitely recommend that you follow him because it's very entertaining and informative. But what I love about the example with Lawrence Tribe is in the summer, over the summer of 2016, he was tweeting, as many people were, about the uh, upcoming election. And one of the tweets in particular was in relation to Donald Trump. Specifically, he tweeted, I have notes of when Trump phoned me for legal advice in 1996. I'm now figuring out whether our talk was privileged. What I love about this example is after he tweeted that, that, of course, Twitter exploded. Uh, Why did Twitter explode, of course? Well, there's lots of problems with his tweet, not the least of which is why in the world he had 20-year-old notes in his files. I think we should talk about his file retention policies, but that's an issue for another day. He had a big problem that he seemed to think that this was a privilege issue about whether those notes were actually confidential. That's the real issue, is confidentiality, not privilege. And here, a Harvard law professor got that wrong. And what I love, why this is my favorite example, is because this is a Harvard law professor making a mistake that many attorneys do, which is confusing this notion of attorney-client privilege with confidentiality. Privilege, of course, as most of us know, is what happens when you're talking privately with your client in the office and they say something that is only between you and your client. And the point of privilege is you can't be forced to disclose it. That's an evidentiary issue. Evidentiary issue. But much more broadly, there's a duty under Rule 1.6 of confidentiality. And that covers far more than what your client directly tells you, which would be privileged. It covers anything, especially in California and under the ABA rules, really anything that you come in contact with over the course of the representation of your client, including that this person consulted with you to begin with. 
Um, so the fact that Lawrence Tribe confused this is hopefully inspirational to attorneys. Yes, this is a common problem, but it's something that even the best of us mistake sometimes. Well, and where would you point, especially Megan, where would you point attorneys to go to when they're having trouble with these ethics rules? What's a good place where they can say, and if they're, if they have the um, wherewithal to pause before tweeting or posting something, where can they look to double check themselves and make sure that they're not making a mistake? Well, that's a good question. And, and I like the part of your question that says, if they have the wherewithal to pause, I hope that people will. I hope that people will actually think about these things. But w the first thing is just we all should actually read the rules. You know, that really is just a revolutionary concept. We play sports, we learn the rules of the game, and somehow we come out to law and we don't learn the rules that govern us. So that right there is step one. Um, ethics opinions are another, but it's hard to really digest them. Uh, you really need practitioners who are steeped in this stuff and putting out content. That's the best place to turn someone in your state who does this for a living, who focuses on it and geeks out on the ethics rules. Right. Because these rules are complicated. And even though we're lawyers, they're not, these rules are not that accessible. And most of us are focused on learning the law in our practice. And the idea that we need to become experts in these ethical rules in order to run a modern business can be very frustrating. One of the places that we see lawyers run into trouble a lot is when responding to mostly negative reviews online uh, where they do feel very attacked. And it, if you're practicing law long enough, you are going to get a negative review and how you respond. Um, this is where lawyers get themselves into trouble because they put aside what they may remember from law school about the rules of confidentiality and often uh, engage with these negative online reviews and former clients in a problematic way. So to get lawyers from scare to share, because and obviously social media is good for your practice in terms of building some exposure and uh, you know getting your uh, getting your reputation out there as a thought leader, you know what's safe to do? Like I mean, if there's there like I mean, obviously you check in with the ethics, you know the ethics bodies that be in your given state. But my understanding is a lot of these rules are still open for interpretation. So even if you read it, even if you get a consult with somebody, you know there could still be trouble down the line. So is there a safe formula for doing this? Well, I think there is. I mean, the two things that people often think of with getting on social media as lawyers are marketing, like proper advertising. Hey, I'm here. Someone come hire me and sharing war stories. Both of those are kind of danger zones. And the thing is, I actually don't think either one of those is very effective use of social media. So I think the most effective and safe way to go on social media is to share information, share content. You know, educate your client base, educate your fellow lawyers. And the more you talk about your practice area, you establish yourself as an expert, you learn things because you engage with other people about topics that are actually interesting and relevant in your practice area. And none of that even skirts the types of rules we see that people getting in trouble violate. Right. Lawyers have this problem. Um, I think most of us, myself included, aren't known for our creativity. So when it comes to advertising, we do have this pressure to be online and to be talking about results that we have. Uh, and lawyers tend to be very on the nose. And when they get on social media, well, I'm going to talk about the results that I just delivered for clients. And really, the rule for attorneys on social media is, is be interesting. You don't always have to be talking about your practice online. And in fact, that's where you get into trouble. The two rules you get into trouble most often are 1.6, governing confidentiality, and then 7.1, which governs you know, the rules of advertising. But you don't have to necessarily always be talking about results. The point of social media and advertising 
fundraising for attorneys is, say, top of mind. So talk, be interesting. That absolutely is the rule. But you don't always have to talk about your cases. You don't always have to talk about your practice area. You just need to remind people that you're out there and you're engaged with your clients and your community. Well, and I know a lot of attorneys want to share their results, especially if they're positive um, and and believe, regardless of whether or not they're right, that it will bring in more business, that clients want to know what the stats are, want to know the results. So if you were talking to an attorney who's insisting on actually posting those, how how could they cover themselves if they did want to present some of their results? Well, the first thing I'd say is try and get someone else to share your results. Get your clients to review you online and share information and give you quotes that they give you permission to share. So if I go online and I put on Twitter, hey, my client was so happy. This is what he said. And here's a quote from him. Well, I'm totally safe. That's client consent. This is what he said. It's a truthful statement quoting him. And that probably speaks more to my prowess and good results than me just saying, hey, I won for this client today. Because now you know that my client was actually happy. And here's a quote. So that would be my first piece of advice to get somebody else to actually toot your horn for you. And I think that that's a really smart point. And that's something that lawyers often miss is, look, just remember, if you're bragging about your own results, people are going to discount that a lot. So let other people brag about the results that you bring and then make find a way to have a unique voice online that people can relate to and want to see your posts. Nobody wants to see a lawyer who's constantly posting about their own wins. Eventually, they're going to tune you out and now you are just background noise. One of the great things about social media is it kind of gives companies uh, a forum to give a little sample of what they offer. So like if it's a movie, they can put a little trailer on there and it gets people interested. So if you want to go see Star Wars, here's the trailer for it. But you know, the lawyer equivalent of that is sort of displaying what they know, something useful to people out there, sort of this teaser, this information for you, you should come talk to me. So I would imagine that maybe one of the trouble areas that a lawyer could potentially get into is offering legal advice via social media. I think that's a big worry of some lawyers, and they actually think they'll be safer by using social media as an advertising platform. But in truth, there's really not a lot that's going to go on that's giving legal advice. You're, it's a one-way street if you're putting out content. You can engage with people who comment or follow you or retweet and get engaged. But when they do, you have an opportunity to assess that and choose not to directly address somebody's legal problems. When you're just putting out information, you can't possibly be giving legal advice because you don't know anything about the legal problems of the people who might be reading your content. Right, and you want to think about the different channels too, because obviously there's different content that should go on LinkedIn than on Instagram. You know, I have a criminal defense practice, and I'm going to tell you that not most of my clients find me through social media, but once they do find me, what my social media does is it adds credibility to me. So they're going after they've already had the problem. They're not finding me because they've been following me and then get a criminal problem. They find me through another avenue and then look to my social media to verify that I'm going to be a good attorney. I'm going to be somebody that they want to work with. So again, that goes back to the, I see so much boasting and bragging in a way that seems tone deaf to what your potential clients are really looking for, which is somebody who I want to trust and I want to work with. And if all they see is you talking about yourself, that's not somebody that you want to spend very much time with, Never mind, pay them money to help you in their case. And the content that we put out that helps to educate our client base, not only is it not giving legal advice, but it actually really can help. Because if your client base already knows the basics of what you're going to do when they come in to work with you, you cut down on your work and you help pre-screen clients. 
and you actually can get a better client base because they're more educated and they self-select to come work with you. I think that's, I want to add to that. I think it's really important to be authentic on social media because you do want to be drawing the clients who value what you have to offer. Uh, there's this tendency in the legal market to think of lawyers as always having to be good at everything. So you're a good appellate lawyer, you're good in trial, you have good relationships with the people that you, your adversaries that you need to work with. We're not all great at all of those things. Advertise and talk on social authentically because you actually want to bring in the clients who appreciate what you have to offer. Uh, because if you're attracting clients that don't actually match your skill set, then that's going to just lead to more trouble down the road and you're not going to enjoy your practice as much. That's great advice. I've had the privilege of seeing both of you um, lecture actually twice today. That was a wonderful day. Um, but then also I've, in, in other formats as well. And, and when you guys talk about ethics, I think that it's usually instigates the most dynamic conversations um, that I've ever heard in a um, CLE. You know, usually people get their credit and they take off, but I see people swarm you after and um, debate with you regarding different points that you've made. What are some of the things that you think attorneys struggle with the most um, regarding some of the advice that you're giving? I think the biggest problem for lawyers and ethics is that there's this big disconnect because for years, Everybody's forced to go to ethics CLEs. And for the most part, what you hear are judges talking about, hey, don't cheat, lie, or steal. And while that's useful, that really doesn't relate to the challenges that we face as modern practitioners, which is, can you be Facebook friends with your judge? How do you respond to these negative reviews? Is it okay to use these contact forms? Are you abiding by the confidentiality rules if you use these contact forms where your SEO consultants and other people have access to this information? Uh, I think it goes to the root of the problem with the CLEs that we don't actually always address the real problems that confront practitioners. And so that makes ethics boring for the most part. So we are excited to go and talk about things that are actually useful and we get a great response from the audience as a result. And I think another thing that they have trouble with is making the connection between old school offline behaviors and current ways of doing business online. And like one comment that we have heard, we heard it today was, well, if you're sitting around a coffee table talking to five people about your case, that's really different than publishing a Facebook post about it. Well, it's actually not. They're actually the same thing. And that's something that people have trouble with. They're not embracing that today's online world really does have a correlation to the right. offline world. Well, one of the topics you guys brought up today was um, how we have this culture of sharing stories in, you know, with other attorneys. And we sort of feel like that's under the veil of confidentiality because we're just sharing it with another attorney. It's not being shared with other members of other professions or with the public in general. Um, and you were, you know, you were trying to dispel that misunderstanding. Um, and I, I think it'd be helpful just to go into that a little bit more because that was a nice reminder. Sure. There's this sort of lawyer folklore that, well, I certainly can't say these things, these facts about my case in the public, but I can discuss it on listservs with other lawyers, or I can just discuss it with other lawyers in a jury box. And that happens, I'm in court every day, and that happens all the time. There is no exception. You're not allowed to discuss these things. However, we're fighting against a precedent that's been set for the last 50 years. 
Lawyers have been discussing their cases in jury boxes with other lawyers for 50 years. And it's never been addressed by the disciplinary committees because there's no way to regulate or enforce that. We're just now bringing the same conduct that lawyers have been engaging in for years. Now it's getting public scrutiny because we're bringing that same conduct online and it's causing trouble. Uh, so we do really have this friction between what lawyers have been doing for many, many years and not thinking about the ethical implications. But when you bring that conduct online, it invites public scrutiny and that's where we're having trouble. So I think I have one last substance question uh, for this interview and that is this. I'd like to set something up and I wanted to just go around the table. One do, one don't when it comes to social media. Instant takeaway. Listeners can grab a hold of that, use it in their practice today. Do embrace it. Use it. Don't use it as a forum to broadcast confidential information about your clients. Um, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Megan's do and say I, I personally do not like social media. And I was a very reluctant adopter. But in order to run a modern business, you have to have a presence out there. I like to avoid self-promotion as much as possible. Uh, so when it comes to what don't do, don't think of it as you need to boast about yourself. It's an opportunity for you to brag on other people as well. You can look for content outside of just yourself. Remember that the importance is you want to be visible and top of mind and people want to see you going by. It doesn't matter so much that you're talking about what you in particular are doing. I would say do use photos because people are going to um, only really look at it if you're using photos, especially if it's for your law firm. And don't be afraid to share some sort of your personality in it because that's what consumers want to know and that's what people are going to be interested in. I have a do. So my do is do share. Now, I got this advice from David Latt from Above the Law, and he was on a podcast of ours. and He was talking about some of the things he does to build his social media presence. And he said that, you know, people like it when you share their articles. And so, you know, read them and, you know, actually go in there and read the post or read the tweet or read the article and make a thoughtful comment. And he said, you know, to the degree he did that, he got rewarded. And so people would be inclined to share his stuff and then his followers and influence grew over time. And as far as don'ts, don't be a jerk. You know, don't say anything online that you would not say directly to somebody's face. It's just going to get you in trouble. You're just going to end up regretting it. And it's going to hurt your reputation online. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like we're just about out of time, but I just have this one last little question for you. If our listeners want to reach out, they want to make contact, ask some questions, do a little follow-up, how can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Gersten Zang Law, common spelling. <laughs> I am on Twitter at EHG Law Firm. And I'm on Twitter at Xavier Law and the Lawyers Gone Ethical podcast. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us and also our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, please find us, then rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.